0: Hello, family. My name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to see you. Thanks, Dad. It's been a long time, and David and Megan are leaving. It's not like I've been planning or waiting. I don't have a countdown. Like, it's been a long time. No, I was just reflecting. Uh, when when I met David... Um, it was shortly after he had had like meningitis, and I don't know something terrible was happening in his life. He was, uh, he was doing IT work slash office work slash at least I'm not a janitor now work, um, for the church, uh, and I was doing IT work, and that was probably 2007, maybe, and and we've had the privilege of of. Serving together, he's watched me be a foolish youth pastor, and we made stupid videos of me uh, trying to be a raptor and then finding out that the church thought we were saying a rapper and having no idea what was happening and why there was a guy running around like this. <laughs> uh, so he was, <laughs> he was behind some of the videos that me and, and another guy, Corey Bendix, made. Um, <laughs> he would watch us do stupid things to one another and come up with ideas to help us do stupid things together, often often not being in the video himself. Um, most of the time, he wasn't in the video. <laughs> um, but we've grown together as, as friends and uh, sharpened one another. And um, it's... Uh, I frankly, had not expected to be as emotional as I am, because sometimes you, you forget, but um, he's been a close friend of mine, and you're a jerk for leaving, <laughs> so that's on the podcast. Um... But we're, we're today we're talking about the fact that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I am an ordinary person, and David is a slightly less ordinary person. <laughs> and you're here, and maybe you feel like you're an ordinary person and you look at your life and you say, God, how would you use me? Yeah. Or maybe, God, where are you? Yeah. God, do you care? And <clears throat> so we're going to talk about that. But before we get into that, I want us to think about mission. Because ultimately, when we think about God's Acts and his purpose and his actions in the world. Um, we we have to remember that he has a mission. Uh, a, a famous missiologist says God's mission has a church, not that God's church has a mission. Although that's true, but but God's mission supersedes the church. It encompasses the church. Um, sometimes we think that God has done what he's done in, in Jesus Christ. He's saved us. He's presented salvation to, to us by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that's kind of the end of it. But, but when we look at Scripture, when we look at Genesis, we look at God creating everything as we read a little bit about in, in, in Psalm 136, and we look at Revelation, the ultimate goal is not to build a church. The ultimate goal is to bring glory to the only person who deserves our worship. And he created a church because there are areas and there are places in the world where God's glory is not being shown, where it's not being manifested. In Denver, there are places where God's glory needs to be manifested, and that's why we're sending them out. In Sterling, there are places where God's glory is not being manif- manifested, in Ashburn, in Lowe's Island, in Sterling Park, in Percival, in, in Hamilton, there are places where God's glory is not being manifested, and God's mission has a church. In Matthew twenty eight, we'll get to the text in just a second, but in Matthew twenty eight, you, you you probably know the text. Um. Jesus gives some of his last words to his disciples, and he says in verses 18 through 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the commission. That's the mission that he's given us. And then in Acts chapter 1 Next, chapter 1, it says in verse, Jesus, is, he's, he's come back um, and he's talking to the disciples. and He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus gives them this, this command to wait and, and a commission to make disciples and, and a promise that, that you're going to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And, and like concentric circles, if you were to look at the map, Jerusalem's in the middle, uh, Samaria and Judea, and the ends of the earth, and it's intended to go out. And that is the mission that God has for us, reaching the nations. And so this is why we do church. This is why Grace Covenant Church Sterling exists. Um, we are not an overflow we are not um, here just to have a social club, um, although we love being in community. Um, we're not even here just to be an influence for the temporal benefits of this community, although that is a big part of it. We don't just minister to the poor for the sake of ministering to the poor. We don't just reach out to single moms for the sake of re- reaching out single moms. There's an ultimate purpose in this, and that purpose is to be witnesses to In Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what's interesting is that God uses ordinary people to uh, to accomplish His extraordinary mission. Go to Acts chapter eight with me, and let's stand and read this together. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went to, five <laughs> Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they did For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in this city. Father God, help us to see that as ordinary individuals, Lord, you can do extraordinary things through us. That your mission is accomplished, your extraordinary mission is accomplished through ordinary people like the people in this room. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So that was super abrupt. the, it would have been good for us to read like the previous chapter, but I, it's long, and you can see how terribly I do that from the front. So, um, what was going on is that the church is growing, and this guy Stephen, who he's he's not even an apostle, he's he's just a guy, um, faithful servant of God. He he ends up preaching this message to some of the the community there, and he basically goes from Genesis. To now, and he says, God has been trying to bring about redemption, and he 's been trying to get your attention to bring about salvation and you guys killed him um, and and they did not like that story, and so they stoned him, and all the while, as these guys were picking up stones to stone him because they thought he was blaspheming. They took their jackets off so they could get, you know, a better grip, and they laid it at the hands of this young man named Saul, who would later, we would know him as Paul. Um, And that's where we pick up, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. So Saul was persecuting the church. Stephen had been stoned to death for his sermon about Jesus Christ. And believers in Jerusalem were fleeing to Judea and Samaria to avoid persecution. What's interesting is that the persecution was the tool that God used to fulfill his prophecy that we read in Acts chapter 1. Right? Jesus says, and I'll read it again, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit come, has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Ju- Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now imagine you're a believer, right? Jesus has come back, like, it's a pretty big deal. You're, you're kind of pumped, right? If you're, I, I, I don't know, your football team, magically they decide there's overtime and they just destroy everyone else and they win forever. <laughs> and you're like, I picked the right team. That's kind of how, that's a, a, maybe a mini version of what they felt. Or, you know, you, you're, your nation is at war with another nation, and you think you're going to end, and it's the end of the world, and it's terrible. And then all of a sudden, you know, for whatever reason, the army comes back from the dead and pounces the other team, or the other uh, nation, and again, you're, in the right, you're on the right side of the, the fight. So, the, the believers... They were bummed out, they were hiding, they were together basically cowering and praying, and Jesus shows up and they're like, okay, cool, this is awesome, we win. And he says, I'm gonna give you power, and you're gonna be my witnesses. And they're like, yes, we will do that. And then, Stephen dies. By being being stoned to death is not a quick way to die. It's not a fun way to die. It's slow. It's painful. It's gruesome, and and they flee. And and if you're like me, you might say, "Hey, hey, God, that's not exactly what it, I was expecting when you said that we would be witnesses in Judea and Samaria." I mean, you could have just said, "Hey, now it's time to go to Judea and Samaria. Now it's time to let's let's go that way." But but sometimes the suffering that that enters into our lives, is the, exactly the tool that God uses to bring about his purpose. That doesn't make the suffering good. That doesn't make the suffering a positive thing. But God, for whatever reason, because he is wiser than us and, and good and stronger than us, he uses suffering as a way of doing things in our lives that honestly, most of the time, are th- things we wouldn't otherwise do. He... he he draws them out, and he, he sends them to Judah and Samaria. And, and I would just pause in this moment and say today, are you, are you suffering? Are you it's experiencing, maybe not persecution, but maybe you've got something in your body and you're suffering, or you have something in a relationship and you're suffering and you've been asking God, why? Why is this happening? You're coming to God and saying, remove this, remove this, remove this. Help me, take this away and God in his gracious wisdom says no. And and you don't understand why. Perhaps in this moment God is moving you to a place that otherwise you would not go to. And he's moving you into a purpose that you would otherwise not get into. Don't just assume that because things are hard that things are therefore wrong or God is out of control. Right, go go to Psalm one thirty six and read it. Read it until you can't read it anymore. His steadfast love endures forever. You know these are, these are foundational things that we have to take to be true, regardless of what circumstance suggests. You know, when you're in, in an airplane and you're you see that you're above the ground, we don't therefore begin to think I am Superman right? The the undergirding rules still apply. And when when we come into suffering, when we come into situations where we don't understand our circumstances, the, the realities of who God is don't all of a sudden stop applying. God remains good. You may not understand it, but God remains good. There has to have been a time, maybe there ha- doesn't have to be, I don't want to alienate you, but perhaps there was a time when you were a kid and you're you asked your parents, hey, can I do this? You know, I was a kid. My dad had a knife, and normally I carry a knife. It's good. I don't have one right now because sometimes that's considered awkward, and that's fine. And, but I, I, my dad carried a, a buck on his, uh, on his belt. And it, was a, you know, it was a lock blade, and it was like the size of my arm. I was like, yes, I need. To, let me have that, Dad. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. And in his infinite wisdom, he said, no. No, you're seven. You, <laughs> you'll cut your finger off. He didn't say that. But, but I didn't understand because I wasn't quite there yet. But God, not God, my, my dad wasn't being mean. Quite the opposite. He was being a good dad. A mean dad says, sure, take this knife. Let me show you how to open it. I won't show you how to close it. Right? So in, in the midst of suffering, sometimes we think, God, you know, what are you doing? And we don't understand but God's doing something. Now what's what's interesting is to see how these people were responding. Let's look at verse 4. Now, those who were gather, uh, were scattered went about what? preaching the word. Kudos to them. They're better than me. They preached the word. See, what's interesting is my, my response to this situation would have been to go into survival mode, right? You've been kicked out of your town, people are acting crazy, and, and they're jailing people who believe this stuff about Jesus. What do you do? You go to another town, and you, you know, all of a sudden, you, you start wearing a cap, or you're like, you don't pray in public, and you, you're doing things like, oh, I'm Jewish, or I'm agnostic, or, you know, we're not going to have that conversation, but I'd be going into survival mode. You keep your head down. You stay out of trouble. You try, you try to control the situation. You try to avoid trouble. But Luke tells us that they were scattered and they went about preaching the word. They, they didn't just maintain their faith. They shared their faith. You know, it's just, it's just they understood that they had to leave because. but, but clearly they didn't leave out of fear. I think they left out of the reality that the the church had to continue and if they stayed there and everyone got jailed, they wouldn't be able to fulfill the mission that God had given them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. They left and they continued to preach the word. The word there, it's the word that we get for evangelizing, preaching the word. The very thing that led to their persecution was the thing that they did. They were preaching about what God had accomplished. You know, I, I, I love C.S. Lewis when he talks about Jesus because he, he says he's, he's good, but he's not tame. And when God saves us, he doesn't save us into safety. Now, we don't know that in, in North America for the most part. Um, maybe you've had experiences like that. I, when I was, I was in China, one of, one of the times I went there, and... We, we met with like five or six people. There was, a, there was a local Chinese pastor there and we met in this office building because they had a, a business that they ran out of this office. It was kind of the front that allowed them to do ministry and raise money. And he was like, you know, let's, let's worship. And you know what didn't happen? Clarence Finney didn't come and punish the drums. Although I, I was telling Jermaine that God shows up when Clarence Finney punishes those drums. He just beats the demons out of them that's so good. Um, we sat down at a conference table and we sang quietly. We love you, Lord, and we lift our voice. And, and I mean, that was that was the that was the volume. And and they were they were doing something and they understood that God had not saved them into safety. God had saved them into glory. God had saved them into experiencing God's glorious mission but but he hadn't saved them into safety. And if you're looking to Christianity to save you into safety, to save your children into safety, to save your life into safety, if you're looking to God to give you something besides himself, you're doing it wrong. So they had this extraordinary response of preaching the word. But for them, it was, it was ordinary. Jesus was not a far off story. He was, he was a real and risen savior. He, they didn't fear death. I mean, it makes more sense when you begin to think about it. They had just seen Jesus. And so he had died. Then he rose again and he showed up and they're saying, well, if our Savior can come back from the dead, then maybe we don't have to worry as much. And there was a boldness that I think that sometimes we struggle with because we're kind of so far removed from that initial experience. But my encouragement to you is that the Holy Spirit is here, he's with us, and he wants you to, as we talk about in our mission, he wants you to experience Christ in a way that so transforms you that the same boldness that motivated them will, will motivate you in your office environment, in your neighborhood, in your family Christ can be close to you. Christ can be experienced. Christ can be so close in your your heart that that you don't fear death, that you don't fear social death, that you don't fear um, professional death. They were preaching, and and it goes on to say, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowd's... With one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so there was much joy in that city now when you start to read that you might just turn it off and be like no he was one of the apostles he wasn't one of the apostles right in in verse 1 it says that they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Luke is working very hard to delineate this guy Philip the uh, they, they call him Philip the Evangelist from Philip the Apostle. This, this, this wasn't like a you know, sometimes we think of the apostles as like the special forces like Jesus' special forces and it's like alright, go in, flash bomb and you know, salvation! <laughs> right? You're like, I, want, I just want Jesus to give me a silenced MP4 and that, I don't know, that's weird, I'm sorry. Um, and, and we think the apostles were these super Christians um, but, but we see Philip here and, and he's doing the, the, the super Christian thing. Now who is who's Philip? If you go back to Acts chapter 6, you can go there, you, you don't have to. We had this this instance where they're they're serving the community and they're giving food out to these widows who don't have someone to give them food and the the Greek uh the Greek widows are saying, "Hey, we're actually not getting our lunchable." I mean, they're getting theirs, but we're not getting ours. And so it says this, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists or the Greek uh, believers arose against the Hebrew. The Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve uh, apostles summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the, the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and uh, Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Um, So, Philip was just a guy, he was just a dude. We don't really even know what he, like, he gets to go after Stephen, the guy who's like, he's full of the Spirit, and also this guy Philip over here. And and they what do they do? They end up giving food to the widows. That was their job, right? You want to serve in the church? Yeah, let's, I want to do it, let's do it. Okay, take that lunchable to, to Miss Betty over there, and that one goes to Miss Sally. Um, but he, he was faithful. And what does it say about him? He was full of the Spirit, he was full of wisdom, and he was of good repute. He was the kind of person who was well spoken of. In his, his, in his community, in the church, he was the kind of person who had a good reputation and was worthy of being respected. He was full of the Spirit, and that means that he had, he, he, was, he was godly. He was, he was oriented towards God. He he lived a life that expressed the reality that he was trying to be obedient to Jesus Christ as he walked in step with the Spirit, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter five. And he was full of wisdom. He was acquainted with the Scriptures. He, he tried to live the Scriptures. He tried to live a morally upright life. But otherwise, Paul, uh, Philip was an ordinary dude. He wasn't. He had not gone to Dallas Theological Seminary. He was not a PhD. He had not read, you know, the the theologies of various German and Dutch theologians. I mean, he he was not special in that respect. Do you ever have a set of qualifications that keep you from doing what God would have you do? Are there things in your mind where you're like, I, you know what, I'll preach the gospel to my friends and family. I will, I will share the gospel. I will make disciples as soon as X. Maybe it's, you know, I don't, I don't quite know enough. Maybe it's, maybe it's I, I just, I, you know, I haven't read the whole Bible. You know, there's the, the 12 small prophets. I forget, Obadiah, is he in there? I've never read those. I don't know what a lamentation is. I, I don't think it involves livestock, but I'm not sure. Maybe, you, maybe you've created a, once I, once I overcome that, then I'll make disciples. Then I will tell people about Jesus Christ. Maybe it's, I'm not spiritual enough. You know, Pastor Jermaine's talking about, the, about this prayer service, and I'm thinking to myself, I'd rather die. <laughs> I, I, I really don't want to be put in a position where I, you know, I know they're keeping score. I'm sure they have placards. And as soon as I pray, it's going to be like F, 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 D minus F. Maybe it's, you know, I'm not wise enough. You know, I'm, I'm a young, I'm young. I, I'm not, I'm not, once I get, you know, when I become an adult, when I, when I grow up, or, you know, when I, when I get my life fixed, you know, I have, I've got this, this past, I've got this, this stuff, and I've said no to it, and I've said yes to Jesus Christ, but I, get, you know, I've got to work this stuff out before I can do X, Y, or Z. God uses ordinary people like you and me, to do extraordinary things. Abraham was a pagan worshiper. He worshipped the moon. His theology was pretty bad. Um, David was a shepherd and the youngest in his family. Joseph was kind of a brat. Ruth was a widow. Peter was a blue-collar fisherman. Luke was a doctor. I mean, he was pretty smart. He wrote two pretty big books, so maybe he's not super ordinary. Philip was just a, a simple Christian. God uses ordinary people. And God'll use you. Right? David and Megan, I love them so much and, and I'm bummed to see them go, but you know what's not going to happen when they leave? The church is not going to shutter and close. And if if I do something dumb and get hit by a car or something, the church is not going to close. That's not going to happen, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. But it's not dependent on us. You know, um, God will use whomever he wants to use. And if you're in this room and you're like, eh, you know, maybe God would use me. Yes, God will use you. Go to the Connection Center and say, let God use me and we will put you to work. All the people on Saturday are like, yeah, yeah. It was really hard setting up Saturday. Thanks to nobody who came. I'm just kidding. There were a lot of people there. There were wings and you missed them. So good by the way. Anyways. It's a unique Sunday. So we, we find out this guy Philip, he's just a normal dude. And then in verse eight or the chapter eight, we see that he's faithful where he was. He ends up in the city of Samaria, and what does he do? He sets up camp and starts proclaiming Jesus Christ. Again, do you want to be a Christian when you're in the right spot? You know, For me, sometimes it's like, you know, you, you compartmentalize. For me, it's Sunday. So I get home on Sunday and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to take off the pastor hat and I'm going to put on the nap hat. And sometimes people want to take that nap hat off my head. And I'm like, don't touch my nap hat. I don't have my pastor hat on, so you don't want to see what's under this hat right now. And that's an area of sanctification that I need to grow in. But, but perhaps, you know, you come to church and you're like, I've got my Christian hat. Amen, bless you. Then Monday, you just hope nobody sees what hat you have on. Or someone cuts you off in traffic and you're like, I got a hat for you, friend. <laughs> Philip, when he was in persecution... He, he didn't take off his, his pastor hat or his, his Christian hat and put on the fearing everything and trying to hide hat. He, he remained a Christian. That's great. That's great. And the reality is God wants Christ to be our identity. Not to be a coat that we put on, not a hat that we put on, but who we are. If you struggle with that, hey, I'm right there with you. But that's the call that he wants to call us to. You don't have to wait you don't have to wait until something is, is, is right for you to begin to share your faith, to begin to tell people about Jesus Christ. And in fact, your faith is meant to be personal, but it's not meant to be private, right? Philip, was, he was familiar with what Christ had done. He wasn't a scholar. He wasn't a pastor. And you don't have to be a scholar or a pastor. You just have to know what Jesus did. And it's pretty simple, he didn't create a rocket. You don't have to explain how he created a rocket that saved us from a meteor, right? And we, we talk about it a lot, and, and this is not the only expression of the gospel, but it's, it's a pretty simple expression that Jesus Christ, God became man. He lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived, right? That's the righteousness of, of living in, in obedience. He died the death that you and I deserve. That's his, his penal substitutionary atonement death, but you don't have to say that. You just say he died the death that I should have died, he rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death and offering eternal life to everyone who has faith and believes. That's the good news. I mean, you can say it in one breath if you take a deep breath. (laughs) Philip preached the word and his preaching changed Samaria. There was much joy in that city. Imagine if everyone in this room just committed to sharing their faith preaching the word, Sterling would be filled with joy. Ashburn would be filled with joy. Leesburg is already filled with joy because it's Leesburg. Um, um, McLean would be filled with joy. God God would love to use your life. And, And the good thing about God is he's not the kind of person who Sometimes when we say use, we mean it in a very um, bad way. Um, but, but when God uses someone, he does it for their benefit. Amen. Philip was a normal, ordinary guy. How about you? Have you joined in the mission of God? Have you committed your life to the mission of God? Where, where is your Samaria? Samaria? Do you need more of the Spirit? Paul says, if you need more of the Spirit, if you need to be filled with the Spirit, just ask. He says, don't be filled with with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Pray, continually be filled with the Spirit. Do you need wisdom? James says, ask. Just ask. Just ask. God will use ordinary people.